0: If anyone ever tells you to follow the spiders, don't do it. I'm Zach, and welcome to the Bladed Binge Podcast, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. That's because I didn't read them, so I was a grown-ass man. And today, I'm joined by an awesome fellow Harry Potter podcaster that goes by the name of Firebird on the Dusty Cauldron Podcast as we discuss front-to-back the events of Chapter 15, A Chamber of Secrets, Aragog.
1: Summer was creeping over the grounds. Around the castle, sky and lake alike turned periwinkle blue, and flowers large as cabbages burst into bloom in the greenhouses. But with no Hagrid visible from the castle windows, striding the grounds with Fang at his heels, the scene didn't look right to Harry. No better, in fact, than inside the castle where things were so horribly wrong.
0: The Belated Binge Podcast. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I almost missed, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where, despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through till my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now we're going back a chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly, Dumbledore's role in his master plan. What did he know? when did he know it, and the motivations guiding the story. And of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible by asking the hard-hitting questions like, why does Harry only know two spells? And are there any competent adults in this series whatsoever? Together, all of this makes the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. But before we get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007. If you haven't read them by now, you're later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids section of the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. Shout-out to our free elf patron, Alex Sweatland. If you want to get shout-outs like Alex, as well as early access to episodes, bonus episodes, or just a whole bunch of other benefits that are available, please join us on patreon.com slash belated binge. Once I get to 10 total patrons of any tier, I will start a Discord server. You can join for as little as $1 a month. Now, without further ado, I am super excited to announce my guest for today, Firebird. Firebird is a Harry Potter podcaster who joined the fandom as a reader in 1999. The Dusty Cauldron podcast began in 2021. But her joy of sharing all things Harry Potter was born about six pages in to the first read-through of Philosopher's Stone. Firebird! Hi! Hi. (laughs) How are you?
1: I am great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for slumming it on this uh, particular Harry Potter podcast because (laughs) you had your choice of many and you chose this one and I am grateful. Tell us everything about your podcast.
1: Um, the Dusty Cauldron podcast is different than a lot of podcasts that are doing read throughs and really tries to dig specifically into themes and overarching plot devices and does delve quite a bit into fan theory or fanon um, so we typically have different themes sometimes we're doing a deep dive on something from the story sometimes we're having a wizarding duel where we take an argument throughout the story and two people will fight over what they think should have happened or whether a, a character was a good person or not that sort of thing so we try to keep it interesting
0: That sounds fascinating. Do you actually fight each other? Or uh, let's be honest, you you're uh, protected by screens, right? This is this is truly (laughs) 2022. We're not we're not street brawling, right?
1: So we do not have physical contact. However, every wizarding duel has been filmed with both duelers in the same room um, because the person Mm. I typically duel against does live in the same town as me. Um, And there was one episode where a death threat happened. (laughs) Oh, but it's mostly verbal sparring.
0: All right. All right. I like it. If that's not enough to make you want to listen to every single one of those, I don't know what is. So, I guess, tell us your Harry Potter story. How did this begin? Where were you? What were you doing? If you did all the quizzes, what did you get? Just the whole kit and caboodle. We want to know all about you. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Um, So I was in sixth grade when I first heard about Harry Potter. And so the first book had already been out for a year by the time I was introduced to the series. And it was really interesting. I think we must have had um, like a student teacher that was doing practicum or something like that, because it's very odd that in sixth grade we had like a teacher's assistant come in and after lunch be reading a book to us like that would make sense in second grade I wouldn't ask any questions in sixth grade I'm like it had to be that they were just trying to get practicum hours but anyway um, they she only read us the first chapter but I was hooked from the second I heard the first chapter and so I started reading the series on my own and I'll save you the drama but I had kind of an interesting childhood and so reading was escapism for me and so I got to sort of have my own adventure of running away to Hogwarts, and that's how I um, really got drawn into the story. When I first read through like Pottermore didn't exist, Um, I don't remember the very first time that I, like how old I was when I first took the quiz, but I remember my absolute devastation the first time I took a sorting quiz because I read the series and I identified with the protagonist, so of course I thought I was in Gryffindor. I am, in fact, a Slytherin. And when I took my first quiz that said that, it took some time to come to terms with it. Um, (laughs) These days, I am a proud Slytherin. But when I was first sorted into Slytherin, I was not proud at all. I was very upset about (laughs) the whole ordeal. Um, And I actually have kind of a funny story. So obviously, now I identify as a Slytherin. and I'm fine with that. And I forget that people who haven't Delved as far into the series as I have, have a very negative connotation associated with Slytherin, and you can't blame them. Um, But I was at a meeting and I was going to be presenting about something from my job, um, but people at the group knew me and there were technical difficulties. So we're having trouble getting my PowerPoint up on the screen, and someone started making conversation about the fact that I have a podcast about Harry Potter while we were fixing the technical difficulties so then one of the people in the crowd was like hey like what's your favorite house and just didn't even think about it I fired back with Slytherin and the look of like horror on his face (laughs) and the realization that like now this man is came to see my presentation about my job and instead thinks oh my gosh this is a Nazi talking to us today I was like oh I'm gonna need to follow up with him after the meeting and really unpack why I like Slytherin to him (laughs)
0: <laughs> well it won't be held against you here uh, i can promise you that unless of course we get a reason on the page but in this chapter i think you're good i don't think there's any um a-, a whole lot that we can talk shit about for slytherins in this particular chapter so you picked a good one
1: we could give draco a little trouble in this chapter but yeah largely slytherin stays out of this one so i'm glad that we uh landed on this chapter <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean he'll he'll get his, but I don't I keep Draco separate from Slytherin Slander. Um it's just Draco is a shit. Yeah, episode title direct quote from uh, a recent guest that I had, Taylor from the Let's Talk Marvel Theories podcast referred to him as the world's largest fart and I <laughs> vowed then and there that Draco will forever be known as the world's largest fart on this miss- podcast.
1: I'm on board. I wouldn't that is fantastic. Yeah, I, w- <laughs>
0: I wouldn't give it to the whole house, though. Just the ones that we read about because they're all, well, evil, yeah. but
1: is it's what it is. It's unfortunate that <laughs> an entire like segment of children have been painted with that brush. But there are a lot of people that have come from that house that were evil.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's the even the ones that aren't, quote unquote, evil. None of them are nice there's not a single nice Slytherin character that we come in contact with in the Canon seven book series.
1: I don't know if I agree with that simply because the perspective is from Harry. Oh, I'm (laughs) I'm not going to argue that Slughorn's nice, but he's not, (laughs) he is not as aggressively hostile as some of them can be. But I think that we have to take a lot into account the type of narrator that Harry is because he has a very slanted view. Um, and in some ways an uneducated view. That's why fan fiction thrives so well in the Harry Potter series is because he's so unknowledgeable about what's going on around him that any fan fiction could be true and he just didn't notice it was happening. And so I think there could be plenty of nice Slytherins and he just never interacted with them.
0: That I completely agree with. And that's what I was kind of trying to get at is the ones that we actually read about, Mm. they're all, aside from Slughorn, I should have said Slytherin students that we encounter in the on the actual... Pay, like, it's Pansy Parkinson, mm. who's awful. It's Draco, who's awful. It's Crabbe and Goyle, who's awful. One of them, an actual attempted murderer by the time the series ends. Mm. There's Millicent Bolstrode, who has Hermione in a headlock the only time we actually get her name. Like, it's... They're just... <laughs> They're not uh, the ones that we get to see are not nice people, but that's actually what has me so, so like fascinated with the fandom and with this series to get into this podcast. I'm now almost a full year in and I think the reason that this series is just so good and this fandom is so good is because of the like we're 20 years deep in theories about what isn't on the page as much as we enjoy reading the words that actually are. So yeah, that's similar to your podcast, whereas I am actually going through the chapters. Of a lot of it, I'm trying to do so from, like, the perspective of what's Dumbledore doing right now? Where's his master plan currently sit? You know, this, is, this is a reread in every, uh, in every form of the word. Um, spoilers aplenty. But no, that that's... Uh, That's all. I don't know how we got here, to be honest, Um, (laughs) but I enjoyed the ride anyways. Uh, And I can't wait to come on to your podcast as well and uh, talk. What what are we calling that? Is it going to be are we in fan theory land? Are we in fan fiction land? What? I don't even know how to characterize that discussion.
1: (laughs) I'd argue it's a little bit of both. So I have put it I have like six or seven different categories for episodes and i always do an intro at the beginning i have put it as a um head canon as the Mm. overarching theme so that puts us a little closer to fan fiction than it does to like a theory or a deep dive um which those ones i call bottom of the black lake so we're because we are (laughs) sort of taking a plot point that didn't happen and then we're gonna pretend it did and say what changes it's a lot like your expecto plot changes that you've done in some of your other episodes. Um, So I would say we're definitely in the fan fiction realm when we, do my episode though I have to say I kind of wish I had met you sooner like before you started binging Harry Potter because we do a whole segment in my series that is called Ickle Firsties and it's where Mm. by book I sit down with people and I record with them before they read the book and they make three predictions about what they think they'll see in the book and then we come back after they finish it and talk about it again and so far none of the predictions are ever right which is my favorite part Um, but I would have loved to have gotten the chance to do that with you you. that would have been awesome.
0: It probably I don't know if I would have like it would have been a blast, I have no doubt. I don't know if I would have been one of your most enjoyable subjects just because I was very aware of Harry Potter throughout. Um I wasn't completely ignorant to the the topic, I guess. Um and the general gist of the pl- like how it kind of goes. You know what I mean? Like I I kind of knew the high points before actually delving into the series like in full. Uh, obviously, I learned a ton, and I enjoyed the shit out of reading it the first time. Otherwise, I wouldn't have read it the next 12 or whatever uh, <laughs> it's been. But, uh, but I wasn't going in so super blind that I don't think I would have made the outlandish predictions that I've heard some others do in those formats of just complete guesswork, I guess. Totally fair. I don't know if that's if that was better or worse for me in taking in the series or not. Uh, I blame... Well, I, I blame literally growing up with the series. You couldn't yeah. escape it completely. <laughs> it just couldn't happen. Uh, anyways, so uh, the one question I do like to ask guests before we jump in is... Uh, one thing I do on this podcast is when I have a guest come on, I let them pick their chapter. And you picked this one. Why?
1: I had a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is it is one of the kinder chapters to Slytherins in a book that is not kind to Slytherins. Um, (laughs) And then also for a little bit of petty joy on my side, which is um, my husband is also the producer for my podcast. So he's here right now helping making sure everything gets recorded so that we can send you high quality content. And um, he is terrified of spiders. And so I took just some petulant joy in knowing that this whole episode is about the chapter focusing on Aragog. (laughs) And I get to watch his face all the time while we talk about it.
0: (laughs) Shout out to the husband because spiders are the worst.
1: I won't embarrass him by sharing the best spider story ever, but I will just say that when it comes to him and spiders, the amount of comedy that will ensue from how much he's afraid of them is—it's a cinematic. Honestly, like I, if TikTok had existed when I have seen some of his most colorful reactions to spiders, I would be like making good money off of Creator Fund on TikTok. <laughs>
0: I literally, just as we started talking about, started looking around me just to make sure none were around. It, ugh, this is. I needed a guest on this chapter just to have somebody else talk about it. Uh, let's be Perfect. honest. Because I, I, this would have been a 12 minute episode. I would have done the intro, the outro, and said, read the chapter. That's all you got.
1: <laughs> I'll help bring some levity because I think that spiders are kind of cute.
0: Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad that you are. Just completely twisted along with being a (laughs) Slytherin. In case you were obliviated or got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces into that white liquidy substance of our pensive. Chapter 14 of Chamber of Secrets. Cornelius Fudge was an unmitigated disaster. Hermione got petrified. Quidditch got canceled, which might have been the worst thing that happened according to our current narrator. Uh, Hogwarts went on lockdown probably about six attacks too late Ron and Harry used the invisibility cloak to sneak to Hagrid's where they witnessed government incompetence and possible corruption Dumbledore getting suspended from a note and Hagrid being carted off to Azkaban for nothing shall we jump into this chapter discussion
1: absolutely Priori in chapter We've
0: reached the point where our wands connect, not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read. Chapter 15 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets Aragog is... I'm gonna go with a doozy uh, as the way to describe this one. It starts with kind of a bit of a reset, and then we get an apparent time jump, although I'm not sure how much time has passed, which seems to be a theme as I'm reading through. I never really know what's where we are in terms of time until it says it's summer or it's Christmas. And I'm like, oh, great. That's that's where we're at. Um, but uh, this chapter does pay off in that way. Summer is coming. Hermione is still petrified. Obviously. Uh, Hagrid is still in Azkaban. Dumbledore is gone. And Hogwarts is just completely shook. It's in near shambles. Uh, the... Our little dumbass duo that has fallen off of their golden trio by letting Hermione just run to the library by herself when an attack was imminent on a Muggle-born student, and she is a Muggle-born, and running off alone! I will never let that go. And now Ron and Harry can't even visit her in the hospital wing. Harry's been trying to figure out what the heck Dumbledore and Hagrid were both, trying to tell him when he quote-unquote wasn't, in Hagrid's hut, watching everything go down in the last chapter, Uh, and we're also reminded that Hogwarts is on lockdown. The one thing that Harry keeps going back to, that he remembers Hagrid talking about, are spiders. And he notices that there doesn't seem to be a single one in the castle anywhere which is absolutely a divination moment for foreshadowing later in this very chapter when we learn that spiders are afraid of the basilisk, and they have all hightailed it the hell out of the castle. For good reason. And good riddance. (laughs) In potions, Draco seems to be just completely pleased and starts doing what I'm just going to call Draco things. I always thought Father might get rid of Dumbledore. Father says that Dumbledore is the worst headmaster ever. Let's get a headmaster that wants the Chamber of Secrets to stay open. He's awesome. (laughs) Well, I... Alright, so Draco is polarizing. I've said a lot of things on this podcast that have gotten me pretty much canceled by every Draco supporter in the fandom, which is a... Very large number of people. In case you were curious, where where are you exactly on Draco? We know you're Slytherin. We know that you uh, don't seem to be a total Draco uh, apologist necessarily. But like, where where's he at? <laughs>
1: So uh, my agreeing with that he's the world's largest fart is a pretty telling of where I land. And I actually would (laughs) argue that many of the, quote, Draco supporters are, in fact, just Tom Felton supporters. Uh, I could not agree with that that statement more. Yeah, like they just really like the actor and they have forgotten Mm -hmm. who the character is. Um, Do I think that I would write him off entirely as 100% evil? No, because I think that he was indoctrinated by his father and he was in a really terrible environment when he's in his teens and making some crazy, terrible choices. So I wouldn't go so far as to say apologist because I think that he had the opportunity And was presented on multiple occasions with the chance to get out of the path he was headed down by order members. Um, But I would say that I do have a little bit of pity for him when he's in that like 15 to 17 year old range. Um, But at the end of the day, I think he unfortunately consistently made the wrong choice.
0: I'm with you on that. And that's probably the most... A way more succinct uh, and eloquent way of putting it than I have probably this entire time, but its I feel like he's one of those characters where, yes, he had an uphill battle to being a decent human being based on who his father was. That is one end of the Draco spectrum. There's also the other end of the Draco spectrum where he was wishing that he could help the... Heir of Slytherin, murder his classmate and called out Hermione by name, wanting her dead. Mm-hmm. That's the other end of the Draco spectrum. Like, the what I've found in uh, the, <laughs> the way that I've gotten a rise out of uh, some people that are very much Draco apologists is that people just write everything off as he didn't have a chance. He was... He was uh, made this way. And it's it's because of the influence that he had his entire life. And that's fair to a certain point. But at some point, his choices are also his own. Mm-hmm. And he makes a lot of bad ones when he doesn't have to. And he goes out of his way unnecessarily to be a bully, to be a little asshole. Like, we don't uh one i was uh i was just listening to a podcast and they pointed it out um recently and uh who was it oh it was mugglecast um you notice that on the hogwarts express we almost always have an encounter with draco and harry mm-hmm. of some sort of bullying you notice it's never harry going to find draco to start these encounters he's literally Trying to find Harry on the train somewhere so that he can be a bully. Like, that's a choice.
1: Except in book five. You know what I mean? In book five, Harry sought out Draco. But other than that, I agree with that.
0: In book five. Yeah. In book five. Sorry,
1: book six. Book six. I mix them up. It's when he is convinced that Draco is a Death Eater. And he seeks him out trying to get proof of his theory. That's the singular time where Harry is the instigator of the problem.
0: Right. But Harry doesn't. And this isn't an apology for Harry. But Harry isn't seeking out Draco to confront Draco. Harry's seeking out Draco underneath the invisibility cloak to try to figure out is this kid a Death Eater and about to try to do some messed up shit. By the way, he is.
1: <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, he is Spoiler, in fact yeah. a Death Eater.
0: <laughs> yes, this... Yeah, he's he's investigating. He's not trying to go, like, put a finger in his face. Um, That's all Drake... And it's unnecessary. It, he doesn't have to go out of his way to do that stuff, but he consistently does, and that's where I'm like, these are choices. And his dad is literally telling him, don't do that shit, because it's not good if we look like we don't support Harry Potter... And yet, he still goes out of his way to publicly bully Harry Potter at every chance that he gets, and it's like you didn't have to do that.
1: I think that bullying was you, but the key word, like Draco, right. is a bully.
0: Yes, yes, and that and it is again. It, I I get on Draco's character for the choices that he makes that he didn't have to make, or he wasn't like pushed into making. They're the ones he makes on his own, like wishing death on a classmate. Anyways. Uh, Okay so we have made it Past I don't know Page two Uh, (laughs) So we also have This is all happening with uh, Between Draco and Snape uh, Another character that I do not have a lot of uh, Fans with his supporters Um, He's He's like openly smirking And kind of uh, Snape can't have fun uh, and and show a whole lot of joy, uh, because that wouldn't be on brand, I think. But he's showing about as much joy as we see out of him um, when Draco is just openly kissing his ass. Really, are you going to apply to be headmaster? I'm sure father would support you being headmaster. You're the best teacher here. Huh? <laughs> what do you, what do you think? is kind of going through Snape's head in this moment, knowing where he is as a double, triple, quadruple uh, agent in this whole series. Like, what, where is he at right now?
1: I honestly think he is humoring Draco in the scenes in book two. Um, I, I will give the disclaimer of I went through a phase of my life where I was a Snape apologist. I am no longer that person. But I do. Welcome think that back. That, yeah, <laughs> I do think that will color some of what I have to say today, because I think that Snape is a very nuanced character. And I think that similarly to Draco, at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, he did make the wrong choice. But he can at least claim that 10% of the time he made the right choice, which Draco can never claim. Um I think in this particular scenario, he's been in a holding pattern since 1981, and it's like, a, I have to stick around because my one master may be coming back, and I'm still tied to this other master that I agreed to serve when I was trying to save who I believe to be the love of my life, though I may argue Snape does not understand the concept of love. Um And so it's just like uh, when you're left with the one master, you need to at least appear to be loyal to his ideals and to be agreeable to his missions. So at no point would it make sense for him to be like actively scheming to take Albus's job. But when presented by a Death Eater's child that the idea of that is appealing he would need to look like he finds that agreeable as well. But also at the same time, he doesn't even want to be a teacher. So why on earth would he want to be the headmaster of the (laughs) school? Like the only reason he ends up as that, as the end of the series is about the war and about who he's serving. It has nothing to do with his ambitions. I think if given a second, he'd walk away from Hogwarts and never look back.
0: That's interesting. What do you think about Dumbledore? Like, let's say that this suspension stuck. (laughs) Do you think Dumbledore would want Snape to replace him at this point?
1: No. We
0: know um, he does later.
1: I am going to absolutely not answer but. what I think about Dumbledore because your podcast episode will get very long and go in a direction you weren't planning for. <laughs> um, I will just stick with I'm not a fan. Um I think that at this time, he would not put Snape there. I think the only reason he thinks putting Snape there after his death is a good idea is because he knows that Death Eaters are going to take over Hogwarts. And that's his one hope to try to protect the children somehow, because he believes that the core of Snape is good. And so he's like, at least if they put you there, the children have a chance. I think in any world where we're not actively at war, he's fully aware of the way that Snape is verbally abusing the children and that he can't tolerate any of them and that he's less than caring. I don't think that he would ever (laughs) think putting Snape in charge of a school would be a good idea given the circumstances.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. Now we're in Herbology and another shit from this book, one that doesn't belong to Slytherin house, by the way, I just want to make that clear. Not all of the shits are in Slytherin. This one is Ernie McMillan, uh, who is a Hufflepuff and the worst. Uh, But he comes through and apologizes to Harry for being a jackass all year and trying to tell everybody that would listen that Harry is the heir of Slytherin. And his reasoning has always struck me as ass backwards. (laughs) Do you think that Hermione getting petrified should remove
1: the suspicions on harry from a hufflepuff yes so i want to look at this in two different ways um for largely arguable good characters right um i think yes you would think they would never attack their friend of course it's not them i think for everyone in slytherin if they had ever suspected that harry was the heir which i don't believe that they did that would underline that it was Harry because if I were a Slytherin and I were insane and deciding to release this beast on the school and worried about being suspected, I would petrify someone close to me to drive attention away from me.
0: Yeah. That's interesting to me too. Like, I think it's, I think it's almost a marker of, If you're looking at it from an outside perspective and and you do suspect Harry, it's almost like, oh, uh uh-oh, now nobody's safe.
1: Valid. And also, like, I think just logically it wouldn't have made sense unless he was feeling desperate, like if we're saying he was. Because Hermione does not get petrified until the beginning of may that's an approximate timeline. Um, I'm like a pretty firm believer of the Harry Potter lexicon where they've gone through and tried to do a, a timeline of like every event in the series and they play God it bless at, them. Yeah. I love it. They place her roughly like may 8th for being petrified. Um, <clears throat> so it just seems odd if it were him and he were trying to divert attention to wait until may to do it. And if it's not him, it seems odd to wait until May to go after the most prominent muggleborn born in the school. I don't know. It's just, overall, it's very odd.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe if she didn't, you know, go to the library by herself when Harry was literally listening to the basilisk looking for a victim, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been her. We, it would have just been the Penelope Clearwater, the Ravenclaw prefect, and we would- Keep going with our narrator not really caring that much about anybody that's been petrified. But,
1: you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's really interesting because throughout the series he has a significant savior complex. And that didn't trigger in that moment with your friend running off into the castle.
0: Because Quidditch.
1: It. <laughs> Fair enough. It Harry was Potter. All is a Quidditch.
0: Explain It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed Producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half-giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, Hey, you're rich! Having a podcast takes a lot. And it's not easy, so your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And There are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also many of the pod players now support a rating and review function apple spotify good pods Podchaser, just to name a few and it takes about four seconds to leave a five star rating on the app this can be greatly impactful if you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews that's even better think about how reliant we are on reviews whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next We're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own, or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you, and maybe even, Share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and you can also email belatedbinge.com. At @gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently 6 tiers available, designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So Benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shout-outs, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a Patrons Discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. <laughs> um. Anyways, so Harry and Ron are now making their plans. They're They're going to get the invisibility cloak, they're going to sneak down to Hagrid's later on, they're going to grab Fang, and they're going into the forest to follow the spiders, and it's going to be awesome. But first, you know, we have Lockhart that we have to deal with, who's being Lockhart. Can you explain to me, maybe better than anybody else has been able to, uh, why does Lockhart continue to take every single opportunity that he has to prove that he's an incompetent moron?
1: Uh, I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever met a real life Lockhart?
0: (sighs) Yes, but no.
1: (laughs) Fair. I've met several. I've worked with a couple. I have the joy of not working with any currently, which is nice. Um, And I've, interacted in, like, a business sense with Lockhart's before. And here's the thing. They have no concept of the fact that they're an incompetent moron. They are able to legitimize everything that has gone wrong in some way in their mind for, like, extreme circumstances that, given the chance, would never happen again. And everyone understands why that happened today and understands how incredibly amazing they actually are. Like, they genuinely have no clue they think that they are intelligent they think that they are powerful funny engaging and they do not have any sort of actual common sense they don't have enough empathy to read what actual social cues are coming back to them from other people they really truly believe that they are amazing and so to them it's not that they're taking every t- opportunity to prove that they're not it's that they've just had a series of unfortunate events but everybody knows the truth that they are in fact amazing
0: i'm with you on the concept of the character here's the here's the rub here's here's why i say not that like cuz I, I i know plenty of who you just described however <laughs> this particular character knows that he's full of shit the reason that he knows he's full of shit is because he's literally made his living going and modifying the memories of people who actually did this stuff and faked it
1: you're as applying, himself. You're applying this whole logic.
0: time. I, yeah, I guess I am. You have Be- to take a step
1: back and remove logic from the scenario. Look at it as if you, I you are. A per- I know this is an argument that I have at work all the time because like managers will be talking to each other and be like, why is so and so doing X, Y, Z? And the other manager will respond with don't think about it logically. And then you just get mad because you're like, I can't do anything but think about it logically. <laughs> but so let's it's look true. at this from the logic of Lockhart. I don't have the skill to conquer a werewolf. It's not that I can't learn it. It's that that's not a valuable skill. But you know what I do have that is a much more valuable skill? The ability to take someone's memory away. So, again, he can rationalize to himself that he is more powerful than the wizard that conquered the werewolf or the banshee or whichever one he's writing a book about at that time. Because he was able to do it with no risk. He was able to make money off of it. He was able to build a career and a lifestyle without ever putting himself in danger. He, in his mind, is much more intelligent and valuable than the person that he took that story from.
0: I don't know that you've one hundred percent convinced me, <laughs> but I think that's the best attempt I've ever had. Uh, and I've I look at Lockhart in a slightly different way today than I did. Four minutes ago, I'm gonna pat myself on the back,
1: but also give you permission to continue hating him.
0: I will take that, I will take (laughs) that. It's because that's that's been the part, and I don't want to keep belaboring on that's been the part that's been a miss for me the entire time because it's like he hasn't done anything right the whole time, and he knows he's been taking credit for other people's work the whole time, so like he has to know that he's not competent, but he keeps trying to show how. He is, and it's not working. And I don't know, yeah, uh, removing logic might be the smartest uh, thing that's been said on this show, and probably how anybody listening to it gets through it. All right, so we've now got our invisibility cloak. Uh, We're taking a nice little walk to the forest. We're grabbing Fang, and we are headed in to the woods, and something unexpected occurs pretty much immediately. And it's not what you think, because who would think That they're about to run into Ron's dad's car in the woods, sentient and savage. I had completely forgotten that they run into this car first thing when they walk into the woods.
1: I had as well, and I Uh, had actually forgotten about the car entirely from the beginning of the book.
0: Oh, wow. See, I remembered the car existing because I remember the the role that it plays later in this chapter. I had totally forgotten about this part though. Like I, and I think it's, I might blame the movie because they skip this and go straight to like, they're in with all the spiders and it's literally my nightmare. And then here comes a car to the rescue. Like I thought, I just, I thought that's how this went. I totally forgot that they like just ran into it and, I don't know. Were they petting it on the hood? I don't know what was actually <laughs> happening in this in this case. I also don't know how this makes any sense. It was just like, I know I'm gonna need to save them somehow later, so maybe the car will come in handy. I don't know. Like, uh. But anyways, before they can move further into the forest to try to follow the spiders, the spiders find them. And now we're apparently going for a spider ride. <laughs> they have been lifted up and they're being carried. We're just along for the ride now on hairy way too many legged beasts. Ugh. Uh yeah, okay. So my skin's crawling currently. We know you are enjoying this a lot. My sympathies for your husband. Um he hasn't but run we're through, surrounded through the hills yet. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't... He can't because we're being carried. We're literally hostages. Um, and we're surrounded by giant spiders everywhere. And by giant, I mean literally giants. They're huge. I, somehow, we've managed to go a book and a half into... Well, more than a book and a half in this series. We're about a book and 80% of the way through this one without knowing that there are spiders the size of elephants living in the woods right by the school cool uh and out comes aragog described as like i said the size of an elephant blind and just undoubtedly terrifying and it turns out that aragog knows Hagrid, and they're just buddies because well they would be here's a question that i have they are clicking to communicate The whole time they're carrying them into the woods, it's click, 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 pincers, pincers, click, 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 talking to each other. The way spiders talk. And then they start speaking English. For snakes, you have to be a parcel mouth. But for spiders, you have to... need a plot? (laughs)
1: Like, how does this work? Uh, Yeah, this is one that I had to invent something not on the page for it to make sense to me. Uh, We love it. And I rationalized this as during the time when Hagrid actually had Aragog as a pet when he was a student, he was teaching him English. And then Aragog has passed that down to his children because of how he honors the relationship with Hagrid and he wants his whole family to be able to talk with him. But I think... I have no proof that that happened and that this is largely a plot hole that has never been addressed.
0: Well, you addressed it and it's good enough for me. I'll probably adopt it and it sounds good. Although, I mean, he's he's got some work to do. If He, he was much more successful with Aragog than he is with his little brother. Let's just leave it at that.
1: We could argue that uh, Acromantulas may have a higher starting intelligence point than a giant. That would be kind of an interesting thing to delve into.
0: You should have one of your wizard fights about it.
1: I might. I might put that down for a later episode.
0: (laughs) Get somebody smarter than me because I cannot explain this.
1: Fair. I do think that also with my rationalization that I like think it's a strictly like must be taught thing. It's not that they're simply picking it up because they hear it because, you know, we encounter acromantulas again in book four. And those one that one, I believe there's only one actually in the maze. It doesn't speak.
0: Yeah, it does not. That's true. And that actually gives your... But I, it's got to be... I mean, Haggard's around in book four. Like, it's got to be one of them. Like, he just went and grabbed one.
1: Yeah. I don't know why I thought that they left after book two. But yeah, I have no proof of that. I'm sure they are actually, in fact, still in the forest the whole time. So then it, I would come back to why well, doesn't course- it speak...
0: Right. And because they also come back in the Battle of Hogwarts later, they oh, like yeah. carry Hagrid away.
1: And obviously they're still there because Aragog dies in book six. So, yeah, I just was yeah. off my rocker with my thoughts on book four. So I wonder if he told huh. them not to speak. And then also, did Hagrid have a funeral uh, after the end of book four that we just don't know about? Because then that was one of his friends that was because they killed the spider in the maze, don't they? Or do they just stun it? I don't think
0: so. I think they just stunned it. Okay. They because they were able to stun it like at the exact same time, it actually went down, so it stopped trying to murder them. Um, I think is, but it doesn't it like break Harry's leg and does something to Cedric. Like it's it's not pretty. Yeah, it's um,
1: definitely an aggressive spider.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is the only time that we that I believe we get them speaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's this, and and this is the thing that like. I always kind of pegged it as Aragog can speak but then all of them cannot because Aragog I always kind of just thought like mated with the more normal spider than himself to make all of these baby spiders. So like they're not full acromantula you know what I mean like it's kind of the way that I always thought of it but they're speaking right now like they're talking to each other. So that was shot to shit because I had forgotten about a lot of this that's happening in this chapter. Um, But one thing that's pretty universal in any language is, and this is pretty much how I feel every time I wake up to uh, something I don't want to, is kill them. I was sleeping. (laughs) That's a joke that I don't actually want to murder anyone uh, in my sleep or awake. But it's quite hilarious if I'm honest. Um, I laughed when I read it. And the book series would be a hell of a lot shorter if they actually listened. Um, But Harry is able to buy them some time by saying that they're friends of Hagrid's. And that pretty much leads us into our spider exposition that we get. And we'll hit some of the high notes here. Aragog explains how Hagrid, or no, sorry. It starts with Harry explaining to Aragog how Hagrid has been taken away to Azkaban for setting a monster loose in the castle and Aragog confirms that that was a really long time ago and he's the monster. We knew this in a reread, obviously. And we knew this from Tom Riddle's memories that that's how this thing kind of went, but we get confirmation here. Uh, He also confirms that he never hurt anybody in Hogwarts and that uh, Hagrid, he was not born in the castle Hagrid got him from a traveler and here's where I want to pause because this is a theory that I've heard and that I liked and if the Fantastic Beast movies were actually good we probably would have gotten it um, but what do you think of the theory that Newt Scamander was the one that passed the egg to Hagrid
1: I find that really interesting but hope that it's not true Um, so I would agree, like, I don't consider the Fantastic Beasts, like, part of the canon, right? They're sort of this side thing that's happening, um, and they maybe have not done the best job of telling those stories, particularly with the most (laughs) recent one, um, but one thing that I do feel like is a theme throughout that is, like, a goodness in Newt Scamander, and while he doesn't see, um... Like, he's similar to Hagrid in that he doesn't see, like, scary things. He sees beautiful creatures. Mm -hmm. I think he learned enough, particularly from being expelled from Hogwarts, that there will be creatures that are considered unsafe for the school. And so I have a hard time picturing him giving something to Hagrid that will definitely get him expelled.
0: Yeah, that's an angle that I obviously haven't heard people talking about who... Um, are into this theory? I think they just like the nostalgia, like the, uh, what's the line that Lita says in one of the movies? You never met a monster you couldn't love to Newt, yeah, uh, which is very much like, oh, so Newt is Hagrid, is what you're saying, um, yeah, and so people just wanted, kind of wanted that little like, nod, I think, um, and I think it's interesting, but I, I do, uh, I like your response in that Newt was expelled, although it still has his wand. Let's,
1: yeah, interesting we'll how they don't always snap the wand.
0: Yeah, only for Hagrid because mm-hmm. reasons. Um <laughs> and yeah, I I'm I am i am also with you. Yeah, the 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 movie franchise has been disappointing. I really wanted that to be good. And here we are. So, uh anyways, back to Aragog, the giant friendly murderous monster spider. Uh, He says that the real monster in the school is an ancient creature that spiders fear most. And apparently, he had been begging Hagrid to let him go way back when, as soon as he sensed it in the castle. So is Hagrid, was he just like holding him against his will in this like weird, super high state of anxiety this and that entire time
1: <laughs> i think that's terrifying <laughs> though i don't think hagrid would see it that way i think he would see it like oh i just need to calm you down like you're perfectly safe i just need to make you feel yeah. safe i don't think he would see it as like this is a hostage situation uh but yeah. yeah it was
0: yeah that's i don't i don't like the i don't like the feels that i'm getting from that uh and that's the first time i've reviewed feels in that way and <laughs> i truly hope that it's the last. Um Aragog says that it's so terrible that they don't even say its name. And he didn't even he wouldn't even say it to Hagrid, which sounds incredibly familiar. Where are you on this like spiders version of Voldemort and kind of the tie to Voldemort in that the air and all of this like this was this was obviously connected um how's it land for you?
1: I struggle to process it, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I did not make that connection until um kind of looking at notes and prepping for this episode like as a reader and I like I literally have lost count of how many times I've read the series and watched the movies at this point somehow I'd never drawn that correlation of like dare not speak his name between the creature and uh Voldemort and like. In hindsight, I feel like an idiot. Like, it just makes sense (laughs) to me. But I had never drawn those lines together.
0: I'm so glad I could help. (laughs) That is the true goal of this podcast, is to make all of my guests feel like just as big of an idiot as I am. (laughs) Uh, That's really what I'm going for here. Uh, Success. No, it is. It's. I mean, it's the spiders won't say its name. It's, you know, he who must not be named. It's literally Tom Riddle's, like, it's not his pet, but he's the only person that uh, is supposed to be able to control it because of being the heir of Slytherin and the Parseltongue and all of the, all of that. Which I'm not even going to get into. All of the the theorizing around, um, you know, how kind of low hanging fruit it is that the monster be a snake for the <laughs> heir of Slytherin, a famous Parselmouth. Um, And so Parseltongue might be involved here somehow. And, you know, the heir of Slytherin is probably in that house.
1: Yeah, um, it being a basilisk means that Dumbledore and every headmaster that came before him is a moron. That should have been obvious.
0: Essentially. (laughs) I kind of, yeah. um, That's one that I chalk up to... We are still reading a book about 12-year-olds right now, Um, and that's its target audience. So, you know what? When I was 12, I was dumb too. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, our our casual chat with the spider ends with um, Harry just, you know, okay, guess we'll be on our way. And apparently Aragog has completely other ideas, uh, which involve Harry and Ron sticking around for dinner as the dish Uh, fang is is fang the dessert or the main course in this weird uh stew that's about to be brewed
1: i think he's like an appetizer because he's so small in comparison also just like from visualizing this when they're carrying all of them into the spider's lair Mm -hmm. how on earth did they carry fang without doing damage Like, how did a spider with its little mouth pick up a dog and not do damage when clearly they do damage with small joints because they break Harry's knee in book four, picking him up by his knee? Like, how's Fang fine? Plot. (laughs) We just needed it to work. Like, at minimum, there would have been like an issue of him needing medical treatment because these spiders have venom. Like, we remember there was something seeping out of Harry's leg in book four when he showed up at the graveyard because of the venom from the spider. Like, it's not enough to kill a a person, but it would have hurt a dog. And Fang was never treated. (laughs) like He just ran off screeching.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think the way that this is, at least in my head, is these spiders have eight legs. They're using one or two of them to carry and the other six or seven to walk. I don't picture this as they grabbed the children and the dog up by their mouths and thus the venom and all of that happening. You know what I I mean? I I feel that this is more of like a wrap and walk kind of situation, like a bear hug.
1: Yeah. I I, I can get get on board because I've seen like jumping spiders grab uh, oh, like the flies ugh. and stuff first with the the four legs so I can get on board. But then that has other implications because that means the spider in book four was trying to eat Harry.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe that... Maybe... Uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't one from the forest I for the maze. I just... I, I have to imagine that it was. And they're just like, Hagrid, go get the nastiest one that you got out there. Um. Because these kids, you know, deserve to be murdered for this little trophy, um, because that's how that is how the uh, this game is played. Sports I mean, ball that's is just life. what it is. Yeah, I, you know, um, you know, win or die. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the other options. If you're not first, you're dead. Okay, so um, luckily, we have our real hero of the story showing up. It's the car. Because how else were we getting out of this situation? And this is absolutely uh, my top ridiculous moment for this chapter. The car is sentient for just this moment. Because we had no other possible way for our little dumbass duo to survive in this situation because they're 12 and they suck at magic. So sure, in a kid's book, let's send a car to the rescue and we'll never see this car again and nobody will ask questions as to why. Except for the grown ass man that's talking about these kids' books <laughs> into a microphone.
1: Uh yeah. Uh, so yeah. Clearly clearly the car is sentient to allow this moment to happen, right? Like I think you're yes. supposed to, to believe yeah. it's been sentient the whole time. But then I would argue why did it allow them to be seen? on the way to Hogwarts. But then it's obviously sentient when it throws their things out and is like, get out of here. You crashed me into a tree. I don't want to talk to you and runs off into the forest. And it's sentient when it comes up to them before the spider scene as our little foreshadowing of who the hero is going to be. So why don't we get a sentient car in book seven when Voldemort's out in the forest like Okay, Harry, you have an hour to meet me, or I'm gonna murder all your friends. I would've loved for the end of the series to be him getting just creamed by a Ford Angula.
0: <laughs> I, I would have taken that. I think the, uh, I think the only explanation that we can possibly have to that is that Dumbledore is actually still alive, and he was driving the Ford Anglia, <laughs> uh, just doing laps around, you know, just checking out the scenery, uh, and he decided to take a vacation. Um, and so he took it uh, to his favorite beach. And that's where they were in that moment. Uh, that's why this car couldn't come save the day. A I accepted it as cute. Uh, real shame. <laughs> real shame. Real shame. Okay. Uh, but Harry's inner Hufflepuff that we never knew he had shines when he makes sure that Fang doesn't get left behind to be Spider Dinner. But his Slytherin is also mixed in there because he makes sure that Ron's the one that has to go and get the dog uh, and he gets his ass to the car. Uh, The car takes off mowing every spider in its path until they hit the edge of the forest and apparently that's the invisible force field that they needed to hit to be safe. The spiders cannot pass that point and survive. So we're good.
1: Maybe they're like allergic to direct moonlight. And so if they came out of the trees, all of their skin would burn. So this is Twilight all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay.
0: So I'm going to go with a little bit more ridiculous. Okay. (laughs) Um, They snag the invisibility cloak from Hagrid's because you can't forget it twice and have Dumbledore return it to you when Dumbledore is, you know, suspended. Um, And they're discussing how Hagrid nearly sent them voluntarily to their deaths. Here's the question. Um, Well, here's the first question. Did Hagrid just have a little too much faith in Aragog, or is he just not even thinking about it?
1: (laughs) You forgot. Hagrid has never met a monster that he couldn't love, just like Noon. Why would he ever think that Aragog, his sweet little baby boy, would eat a child?
0: Yeah, so it's... Too much faith in Aragorn. Yeah, absolutely.
1: He believes Aragorn can do no wrong. Even though Aragorn is the reason he was expelled from school.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I'm taking 50 points from Hagrid for nearly killing our dumbass duo. That's generous. I'd take
1: 100 at least.
0: Make it 100. (laughs) So here we go. Um, The chapter wraps up with a Lumos lightbulb moment. And Harry proposes to Ron, what if the girl who died was moaning Myrtle? 10 house points for Harry for riddling this one out. Uh, he may have gotten more if he possibly thought of this sooner because we've had her in here for the entire book that is almost over at this point, And this has not crossed anybody's mind apparently ever.
1: Yeah. Um, with the boys, I can be like, okay, 12-year-old boys lack significant empathy to be like, Asking more questions when she starts telling you about how she died, because she's alluding to the story in the beginning when she's talking about, um, like, being miserable and how she's been there forever. Um, I can't write it off with Hermione. And so that's unfair, right? I should not hold Hermione to a higher standard. But statistically... Hermione's smarter than them. (laughs) She is. And statistically, women are more empathetic. How did Hermione never ask more questions? Even if she's annoying. like you still wonder,
0: yeah. And <laughs> I, um, I did, I did a thing on the last episode, theorizing with Dumbledore. I think that Dumbledore has had this conversation. I think Dumbledore knows full well who Moaning Myrtle is and how she died. Uh, I think a lot of this is not the f- Harry's not the first person to have this revelation. Um, in my theorizing, if you care to hear that, listen to the last episode covering chapter 14 on this podcast um so I won't dive into it uh, anymore here uh, so that's pretty much it uh what did we did we is there anything you think we missed or wanted to hit home uh, drive in a little bit harder or did we did we pretty much cover the chapter in full
1: I do want to share two theories that my husband yes. like sign languaged to me while we were talking. That were interesting. So I want to add them to the conversation. And his theory is that all of the like Harry, Ron and uh, Fang rode the spiders like giant elephants, like rode on their back. And that's how they didn't get injured. And he his theory was that Hermione was blinded by all of her hair. And that's why she didn't think to ask those questions. (laughs) And I just wanted to pass that along because they both gave me joy.
0: Yeah, I, I like the visual.
1: I think the only other thing I would add is not a theory or anything, but just like a realization that you could remove this chapter from the book entirely and everything would still play out exactly the same.
0: Oh my gosh. I, yes, 100%. I was, as I was thinking about my ridiculous uh, theme here, I was like, it's the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. The whole chapter is not needed, it's not necessary. It's completely and utterly useless to the story. The only thing that it does is give us the (laughs) heebie-frickin'-jeebies. It tells us with certainty that Hagrid didn't open the Chamber of Secrets, which we already knew. Spoiler. And, yeah, everything else is gonna take place just as it had before, or, like, would have before. Because they didn't... The only bit of information that they get that is new to them, that is even tied into the plot in any way is when Harry gets the little piece of paper from Hermione's hand, because again, plot and the boys are stupid. He reads it and says, look, spiders flee before it. It all fits. Like, and he, they just had confirmation. And that's a movie line. I realized that, but <laughs> the, they just had the conversation of like, oh yeah, the, Beast that a spider would be this afraid of would be the basilisk. Hermione's totally right. I wonder how it's getting through the oh, it's the oh my gosh, Hermione has
1: solved this whole book without any wall in a from coma. Yeah, like she wasn't yeah. here and she still figured it out. And even, yeah, if, before we did, yeah, even if we <sighs> don't figure out that it's a basilisk, Harry still would have gone into the chamber of secrets because he has a hero complex. So like we actually yeah. don't have to solve that part for the story to keep going. So it's just kind of interesting. It's like a little bit of an inclusion of a, a cheap jump scare.
0: Well, yeah, and it does give them a. Th- this chapter is absolutely a jump scare. It's it's just we needed some action in this book because we haven't really had any like since they got their ass kicked by a tree. <laughs> there's not been a whole lot of like, you know, there's not been a lot of adrenaline. Because even in like the dueling club and stuff like that, like that wasn't all that adrenaline-filled. It was confrontation, sure, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, the stakes are super high. Like they're, you know, they're it's a supervised fight club between kids that are doing tickle charms. Like we needed some life or death. So giant spiders, here we go. And thank God there's a car here. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Um so I guess that's it. Uh as always, shout out to producer Jack, who I work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using. And if it supports a rating and review option, please leave one. If you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits available on Patreon.com slash belated binge. If you're reading along, next episode will cover chapter sixteen of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets. Seriously, this was a lot of fun. Um, please plug anything that you want to on the way out.
1: Absolutely, the floor I've, is yours. <laughs> I've had a blast. Thank you for having me on. Um, if you guys that are listening want to go listen to the Dusty Cauldron podcast, we're on just about every platform out there Um, most of them will have a subscribe feature if you find that you like it please feel free to hit that you can find us on instagram at dusty Cauldron podcast on facebook at the dusty cauldron podcast group or on our website uh, dusty cauldron podcast.com or if you're feeling particularly engaged you can email us at the dusty cauldron podcast at gmail.com great
0: before we put a bow on today's show, I wanted to send a huge shout out to Feedspot. Blog.Feedspot.com put the Belated Binge podcast into its 50 best Harry Potter podcasts. At the moment that I'm recording this, currently sitting at number 30 on that list which is pretty cool considering how many harry potter podcasts actually exist in the world to be top 30 just about a year into this thing as i record this is super exciting for the podcast so shout out again to Feedspot for featuring belated binge as one of the top 30 harry potter podcasts you can check that out i'll put a link in the show notes Until next time, I'll see you on the Belated Binge podcast.
1: Ron, that girl who died, Argog said she was found in the bathroom, said Harry, ignoring Neville's snuffling snores from the corner. What if she never left the bathroom? What if she's still there? Ron rubbed his eyes, frowning through the moonlight, and then he understood too. You don't think. Not moaning Myrtle. I said Neville really really. I do think! I do think. I agree.